Maintenant, voici l'hôte de Romantic Trousse, Josan. Hi everyone, Jocelyn here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas it is, folks. And uh, we're dealing with uh, an issue that will come in ever so often. Now, there's a person that wrote me. And they said that their partner has complex trauma and they're going to therapy in regards to it. However, this individual wanted to vent a bit about some of the things that they really can't control as far as the conditions with their partner. Now, what you have to understand is when you start dealing with more complex and sophisticated dysfunctions, you're gonna need therapy, you're gonna need help. There's no offense or buts about it. Don't try to self-medicate. Don't try to act like, a, hey, just get over it. You know, hold your chin up. All that bullshit doesn't work, okay? For the most part. What it comes down to is this. When you're dealing with a situation like this, there are certain dynamics that do take place with your partner. Now, this complex trauma usually comes from several events happening, maybe at one time, that are related to people. We'll say, for instance, the relationship you're having a problem in right now. You and your partner are at each other. Meanwhile, you go to see your parents, and you're dealing with an angry parent that's dealing with delusion. Or not delusion, but dementia. Sorry about that. And so they're dealing with dementia. So they're being mean to you and you're trying to take care of them, trying to help them. On the other side of the equation, you're dealing with a rival sibling within the family. So you have all these different stimuli going on at one time. Not to mention, you may be at odds with somebody at work. So you have all these things coming at you at one point. And a lot of times you will have problems trusting anyone. You don't trust your parent that has dementia because you want to make sure they're taking the medication, but you can't trust them being by themselves. You don't trust the judgment of your partner because things are not in alignment with what you guys could compromise on yet. You don't trust your co-worker that you have the rivalry with because whatever was done has not been resolved. You don't, don't trust that sibling because that sibling probably wants to put mom in a nursing home and they feel as though you're doing that to curry favor with mom. So therefore, you find yourself in either a hypervigilant state or a hypovigilant state. In other words, you're dealing with anxiety. That's what's happening. In one way, you may be very defensive, right on it. You're responding to everything. You jab me, I jab you back. However, in the other state, you may be a little bit more solemn, depressed. You may not feel as though it's worth the effort. 
You start compartmentalizing your sentiments. And when this happens, you're at a point where it's going to be very difficult for you to come out of this funk. Now, some of you deal with partners like this that are going through these traumatic events. Now, here's the thing, ladies. If your man is going through something like this, guess what he will try not to do, unfortunately, because of the way we have men categorized in this country. He's not going to emote. He doesn't want to show signs of weakness. This is a trigger that may cause a man to go out and do something really crazy or violent if it's not paid attention to. You know, you hear a lot of people say, well, I wonder why he went in there and shot all those people. It could very well be that he was under this pressure and never externalized his emotions in a way, in a constructive way, where this wouldn't build up to a point where he is going down the drain of depression and sees that there's no hope in the future for him. Or even the people that he may love so much. We usually ignore that downward trend. That person goes silent. Short answers. Doesn't want to be bothered. They want to be alone all the time. They're not interested in intimacy with their woman anymore. Lady tries to go and start something with him in the bed. He puts a hand back on her thigh. At this point, it begins to consume him. He's overwhelmed. He's going through too much. But see, the stigma in America is what? The man doesn't go to therapy because when he goes to therapy, he's considered weak. So what he tries to do is express himself in a violent way where it would exemplify his frustration by devastating the lives of others, making somebody else feel his pain. These are the things you need to check, ladies, with your man. You got to keep him from being so isolated and feeling exiled. You got to work with him on that. When you're talking to him, don't call him crazy. When he's trying to explain something to you and he's speaking from the heart, don't use things like, oh, you need to be a man. You need to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Listen. Ask him questions to get those feelings out. Because what's going to happen is after he, feels, after he realizes it's okay to trust you, even though you guys have had an argument or whatever in the past and it alienated you, 
if you get to a point where you say, hey, you know what? We have our differences, but we're going to put that aside. It's about you and your mental health now. And we need to work on this together. So talk to me and tell me what's wrong, what's going on with you. How are you feeling? Once he starts to open up and tell you how he feels, he's going to be ashamed and embarrassed at first. He probably never had a chance to emote even when he was a child. He had to keep that stiff upper lip and go hunting with dad and go and skin whatever they killed. He had to go fishing with dad. He had to do all these things in order to define himself, in order to get that approval, in order to meet all the expectations of others. Now, to keep in mind one thing, ladies, as you assume the supportive role of him he will appreciate you more and this is going to really strengthen your bond with him he's going to feel as though you care he's going to feel as though he can possibly start trusting again and what you need to talk to him about is hey Honey, I trust you, but we got to start by you trusting yourself. Forgiving yourself. Because, see, as men, what we do is when we don't accomplish something and fail, we take it harder than you think. Ask any NFL player that has lost the game. They get in front of the press during the interview post-game and they got their head down and they say, yeah, well, we didn't play defense. Well, it looks generic. But in the mind of that individual, he's probably saying, damn it, if I could have just caught that last pass, why the hell did I drop it? I'm an idiot. And they go through those acrobatics in their head. But they don't want to ruin their wives' day or their girlfriend's day by bringing that crap home. So they keep it aside. Men do it on the job all the time. Because we're in competition for everything, every day. Our masculinity's challenged. Because we are supposed to fit a certain role in our society. arguing your point at work on a project. Dealing with the backstabbing. The defaming. Gotta go through all of that. Now, I'm not saying men are innately victims, but there's some men that never had a break to emote. See, ladies, you have that opportunity at any given time. You can throw your hands up, scream, cry, Society will stop its wheels to see what's wrong with you. You could go out and literally murder a man 
And when you go to court, you'd be surprised how much sympathy and empathy you have. Now, by no stretch am I telling you to do this. I'm just talking about something that I saw in a recent case. Particularly the case that was in Missouri. Where the woman had conspired to have her husband killed. And what happened? Those tears flowed on that witness stand, didn't they? But it's interesting how those tears didn't flow with intensity when she was at the defense counsel table. It's like, turn on the water faucet now. Okay, you can turn it off. The show's over. But she could do that in public and get the empathy and sympathy of the jury. Had it been a man there, they wouldn't have been so empathetic or sympathetic. Men don't cry. Why are you crying? I remember in the Marine Corps boot camp, drill instructor told one private that was crying, he said, why are you wasting your time and wasting water when you could just go and solve the problem very easily by just doing what you're supposed to do? Do what's expected of you. The problem was it was hard for him to do that. And of course, the drill instructor was insensitive, but he had to be in order to toughen him up. And this is the mindset where men have to be when it comes to society. Because what are these women usually calling these men? First thing out of their mouths, when something doesn't go their way, he's gay. He's a homosexual. It's always a derogatory term related to sexuality when it comes to a man. To feminize him. Make him less than. They did it to us in Marine Corps boot camp. They'd call us by our last name first and then bitch was all of our last names. Everybody's last name was bitch. That was used as the incentive to make us do better. Oh no, we better do better because we won't be called bitch. But it was a play on homophobia. That's what it was. And the problem is, this has become so intrinsic in our society that we don't think about it. And so what happens, it leaves these women in a bad situation where they're dealing with a group of circumstances with a man who has never emoted, 
and never express themselves and it boils over sometimes. But that woman who is proactive, who says, well, you know what? Uh, you're, not going to, you're not going down that well of depression on me. And she tells him, I'm going to fight with you to help you through this, but we're not going there. Ladies, I'm telling you, when you stand up and tell them, I'm not going to lose my man that way. You're not going down like that. He then sees that he's not being exiled. He's not alone. And what that does for him, it helps him to rejuvenate. But if he hears, I don't know why you're moping around here. What's wrong with you? That kind of thing. You're sounding just like anybody else out in the street that don't know him. When you start talking to him in a way, well, he can relate to you. And you're listening. And you're giving input and reassurance and affirmation that you're there with him as that supportive spouse or a girlfriend. Trust me, he's not going to forget that if he's a good man. And he's going to return that favor to you anytime you need him. He's going to be there for you in that spot. I'll never forget one time a friend of mine was in the hospital and we were in the waiting room and this guy's wife had been in a car accident this guy had broadsided her and messed her car up messed her up and apparently I think the guy was a drunk driver I'm not sure but the woman's husband showed up in the waiting room the doctor came out wanted to speak with him And he told him, he said, Doc, I don't give a damn what condition my wife is in. I don't care if only her eyeball works. Do what you can, because I'm going to love that eyeball and everything that's associated with that woman. He said, just make sure that she's alive. That's all I care about. If I got to take care of her 24-7, I will do it if I got to wipe her ass, wash her feet, comb her hair. I will do it. Doctor came back about 30 minutes later. He says, we got to stabilize. She's going up to the room. She's got to go through surgery again tomorrow. He says, but more than her eyeballs are working and he started laughing and the whole waiting room bust up laughing when he said that and um, they brought him in and he was able to go see her but the good thing about it was that he had a level of commitment to his wife based on a lot of things that I'm sure she had backed him on along the way. 
this is what I'm talking about. When you have each other's back in a relationship like that, that's what you do. See, both of you become property of each other. You know, it used to be where the man had the property and owned the woman. Uh, no, a good woman asserts her ownership of her man. The same thing a man does with his woman. Now, as far as being tangible property, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about emotional property. Where that person validates their stake in that person's heart on a regular basis by saying, hey, you know you have ownership here, right? And she reciprocates. So the two of them know that they have something to build on no matter when, what, how they can do it. And it's a constructive thing. And they're not calling each other crazy and calling each other names. They are there for them. And the goal is, as a couple, I will tell you, make this one of your goals, to avoid depression between either of you as much as possible. If you're not dealing with a situation with a person who's already there, the objective is never to get to a point of going there. Another thing too, if you see you have a non-supportive partner, again, you really don't need them. You have a whole population of non-supportive people in the United States. You and your partner, you're one couple. Subtract you and that partner. There are about 328 million people in the United States who don't give a shit about your relationship or you. Yeah, you got family and friends who love you and those kind of things, but here's the thing. Only you and your partner are really there working on it, knowing exactly every detail. And that's the distinction. Family and friends and family, what do they do when you tell them, oh, we'll pray for them? Well, hell, as far as they're concerned, you could contact a guy over at uh, the Sistine Chapel and say, hey, I need a prayer over here. Very generic. That's what I'm getting at. There's not much we can do. But we know to find out what the hell's going on and say we're going to pray for him, right? If you don't get anything out of this, folks, it's about getting your partner to trust you again to a point or getting them to trust you, period to get to a point where they can share emotions with you, especially men. And the integrity that that man will need from you is confidentiality. The problems that go along or go on in your relationship or the challenges that you're dealing with, the two of you need to stay that way. Your girlfriends don't need to know you. Mom, dad, all the rest of them don't need to be burdened with the 
prevails the prevails of your relationship. That's the way it goes. Take care, folks. Love you all. Thank you once again for listening. the most imposing questions that people ask me when is the proper time to say I love you in a relationship well I looked at some of the data pulled from OkCupid and 62% say that it should be whenever it feels right 22% say it should be over a period of months 3% say it should be about a year. On average, it takes about three months or 90 days for a man to say, I love you to a woman. For a woman, about 45 days on average. Now, here's the thing. The reason why a woman will probably say I love you before a man will has to do with her nurturing because that is a component that she may have that's in a special place compared to him. Now, women are slower to have sex than men as we know. The average woman waits about nine weeks before she has sex with a man. The average guy wants it in about three to five weeks on average. It varies, again, it all depends on your comfort zone, just like it does with the word I love you. Now, here's the thing, though. People are afraid to say those three words because that means that they have to make a commitment. They have to do something. And like I tell you, most people don't like doing things. You look at some of the things now with some of the legislation and some of the rules in our society that's actually being uh, enforced and passed. You have this visceral response with people, a certain segment. The government's not going to tell me what to do. And that's the way many of these people function. So they don't want to be caught in that situation where they would have to measure up to a standard or an expectation. This is the reason why a lot of people date without setting any expectations. Because they don't want to go there. I want you to think about it. There are people that are out there on the dating scene who avoid those three words at all costs. They avoid relationships. The dating scene for them is a social hour. It's a place to meet people, mingle, have sex, go out party, have a good time. But Many people use that platform just for self-esteem to be raised. Or they may use it in order to feel like they still have the chops to attract someone of the opposite sex. They may also use it as a platform 
in order to hone their skills. But one thing that they're not using it for, many people, that is looking for someone to love or a relationship. This is the reason why when I say out there on the dating scene, you will find a lot of people who are not emotionally available. There are other agendas and other reasons why they're on the dating scene besides finding a romantic partner. A good percentage of them are not looking for that. They're out there for other reasons, got hurt by a boyfriend or girlfriend, and they're out there to get revenge or to feel good for the moment. Wife or husband may have had a dispute, and they're out there to go out and have a good time. So they don't want to set any expectations. And the boundary, basically, for people like that is don't get serious. That's right, DGS. Don't get serious. So with that, when a person tells you they're not looking for anything serious, trust them at their word. They mean it. Don't try to convert them over to trying to start a relationship with them. They're not worth the effort. They've already told you where they stand, and they have no intentions of changing that. And if they do, they would be the one to initiate it. And would you really want to be with someone who's already told you, first off, that they didn't want a commitment or a relationship? Now they're turning around and saying, yeah, well, maybe so. What do we usually do when we go and ask someone if they want anything to eat, and they say, oh, no, I'm fine. And then they'll say, hey, what's in the kitchen to eat? You'll get frustrated, and you'll reprimand them, right? Well, you should have told me in the first place. And what do you think about that person after they've done that? In some, in some ways, you think a little less of them as far as their judgment, right? So you may question them when they tell you the next time, that they don't want something or that they want something. So what that means is that if you're in a relationship with a person like that, can you really trust their judgment? Can you really trust their decision-making skills? One of the problems you're going to have on a dating scene, dealing with people who are indecisive. That's the most frustrating situation anyone could possibly find themselves in. And here's the thing, if it's starting out that way, it's going to be that way, it's going to end that way. And what you'll find, these people, a lot of times, won't be able to express themselves. They will always make it a point to accommodate the other person. You never know what they're thinking because they keep a lot of their feelings to themselves. And it's not uncommon for these folks to be emotionally unavailable. Well, no, you know, I'm not looking for a relationship right now. That's a little bit too heavy for me. And they'll tell you something like that, and it's like, damn. Okay. But that's one of the most difficult things in the world, is to figure out when to drop the love bomb. Now, there's some people that have absolutely the most definitive desire to find someone 
and to have a relationship and they're out there on the dating scene. And it makes it difficult because they have to pass by so many people with other agendas, people that are all about sex, people that's all about excursions, people that are all about other things, and they may present themselves one way, and then you find out they're another. The difficulty for most men and women when it comes to dating is to measure how much time you waste with someone who's got a facade up and getting to the core compatibility issue with them. And what they try to do is extend that period so that you'll be with them longer and then they could win you over. And that's supposed to be their strategy. You have to cut through the chase with that. Now, women who have dated me in the past know I cut through the chase when it comes down to that. When I hear a woman tells me something to the effect of, well, you know, we'll see where it goes and um, the sex is completely out of the question. I tell her straight up, well, we're not going to even start. But what do you mean? The sex is part of the relationship, first of all. Where it goes, what the hell is that? So I don't know where you're looking to go with this relationship, but it wouldn't be with me. Because this tells me right now you haven't mapped out any kind of strategy as to where you want to go, any kind of structure. I could go to the next woman that I don't even know and get the same response from her that I got from you. She wouldn't know me. She wouldn't expect me to even talk to her about a relationship. So as she would see it, I would start out at zero where I'm starting with you. That's how simple it is. A lot of people don't like doing that. They want to try to weave and see and try to negotiate. When you're in that preliminary dating stage, when you're getting to know that person, that is the best time to make the definitive decisions. Not to get all the way into it, because you have the telltale signs that are telling you, maybe this is not for you, but you're still going through and saying, oh, I'll be okay. You know, it's just like that blonde that always is in the uh, horror movies, and she's running and then tripping over a twig, getting back up, and the bad guy is chasing her, and he's getting ready to try to cut her head off, and then she barely makes it away. Sometimes. That's what this is like. Don't allow them to get you into a situation where that whole time you're just trying to find and get some footing to find out where they're headed, to find out what their goals are. Hit them up on what they wrote on their profile. If they said that they're looking for a long-term relationship, expound on that. Find out where their head is. If they come and tell you, oh yeah, well I just checked that box. Well, you know, I'm just going to see where it goes. You don't need to deal with that person. They don't take their decisions seriously. They don't take themselves seriously. So how could they take you seriously? See, when you have a lot of freedoms in our society like we do in America, people would do just the bare minimum to comply them with whatever rules that apply to them because they want that autonomy. 
to do as they please. And so what you have is a highly undisciplined society, which means that a person will go and agree to something, but doesn't necessarily mean they have to follow through on it. Because what is the caveat? Oh, well, you know, I've got my personal freedom. I can do what I want to. And so in that same vein, they use that when it comes to everything else that involves responsibility. Unless you find someone of integrity who sticks by what they actually profess. And that's difficult at times to find. And some of you find it difficult in regards to sticking with a person who may come across that way in the beginning only to find out that they don't want that responsibility. What they want is sex, financial stability, etc., etc. So they just play the role until they get to where they go. You know, fake it till you make it. You don't need to do that in a relationship. It's best to find someone that's decent. Let's stick with them. But it's difficult, like I said, it's not an easy task. This is the reason why most people hate dating. Getting to know the person, becoming familiar with them, trusting them, hoping they have integrity, and expectations being there. See, one thing you have to understand, if you're dating someone ever, and you have no expectations of them, you have no value in them. That's the reason why you don't have the expectations set for them. So they are not a high priority for you. And I always say, a high priority has that person's attention. A lesser priority as that person's excuses. When you're in a relationship and you start receiving excuses and this person has prioritized other engagements or other events, that's your answer as to, as to where your value is to that person in that relationship. But we don't look at it that way. We add things onto it. You look at what we've done with scripture and the Bible and religious studies. We've added all kind of stuff in there that's not even in the Bible. We've been doing that for eons because we want to customize those scriptures to our own personal will, our own personal desires, what we deem tolerable within our own standards and morals. And this is what people do with other folks. The same thing. I'm going to take this person, and even though they are wired this way, I'm going to try to get them to comport themselves more to my way. Think of it like this. When you start out in a relationship, it's like the relationship the United States has with Russia. They both respect each other, they both have the capacity to wipe each other out. They both have strengths and weaknesses. Russia has a western border that's no joke to go across. 
and they have an anti-missile defense system. The United States has more jets, Russia has more tanks, and the United States has an ocean to save them from any kind of invasion. And so what it comes down to now is what the two can negotiate. And this is what you do in relationships. Starting out with the dating, you're negotiating. Things you can compromise on, things that are in violation of your standards, things that are unacceptable, things that are acceptable, and things that you guys can get along with where there are no bones of contention. The whole thing is to have more things that you can actually work through together than conflicts that you may have. The worst thing in the world, though, some people go into relationships as adversaries. And they stay that way throughout the relationship. And sometimes they misread the few commonalities that they have together as compatibility. And they disregard the more negative aspects of their union that will never be resolved. And you find optimists that do this a lot. And a lot of these people will gaslight themselves in these relationships on both sides of the equation. More in a moment, folks. see what is in a mailbag from Jason out of Anaheim, California. My second home. Dude, I understand you're a colonist. I'm a colonist also, now at least, LOL. Graduated class of 2021. You can thank me later. Folks, uh, for those of you who don't know, Anaheim High School colonist is the mascot. What has happened recently has been something that I've been trying to figure out. I'm 18, finally. I'm grown. My girlfriend just turned 18 not too long ago. And now we're trying to figure out life. But this happened last summer after we graduated. Her mom and dad have been estranged. Dad had moved out with this younger woman. Mom was dating a whole bunch of men. Things weren't working out between the two of them. Dad decided to move out, and then he decided to move back in. And then Mom kicked him out again. So my girlfriend has had a lot of back and forth with her parents. They've been trying to reconcile. They've been splitting up. This had an impact on her. And it made her fearful of relationships. Well, what happened during that graduation mom and dad were going to try to go somewhere and try to reconcile their relationship. My girlfriend thought that they would be gone for the whole weekend, so she invited me over that Friday. She was a virgin. I had been around with two girls, but I was no expert. But around guys, you got to lie like you've been doing this for a while. It was kind of tough at first. 
and I didn't use my better judgment. I went inside of her raw. I know you could date me for that later. She showed me where all of her mom's toys were in the closet, and we pulled them out and we tried every one of them. She was in seventh heaven. It was kind of annoying that she left the leg of her panties on one thigh, just in case somebody were to come in. In hindsight, I'm glad she did that, because at about 12 o'clock that night, the store down, the doors downstairs slammed shut, and I heard someone crying. It sounded like her mom. We were in the middle of finishing up our eighth or ninth session of sex. I was almost there. My girl jumped up and said, hide immediately. I grabbed the leg of her panties and I went inside them. It was kind of funny watching her hobble around with me wiping my penis on it. I could laugh about it now. It wasn't funny then because we were struggling trying not to get caught. She ran into her room and put on a robe. I went and started putting on my jeans and my shirt on. And I made sure that I was in her room. I heard the footsteps coming up the stairs. It was her mom. Fortunately, my girl was able to greet her mom, console her. Her dad had broken her mom's heart once again. I thought we were in the clear, and by her escorting her into the bedroom to talk to her, that gave me enough time to get out. Everything seemed to be okay until my girlfriend contacted me the next day. She said mom didn't have a clue except for one thing. One of the sex toys laid on the floor beside the bed. And it was one of those toys that mom specifically hid in the box. She explained that she took the heat for it and told her mother that she was pleasuring herself. She thinks her mom bought it, but she didn't have a clue that I had been in the house. For several months, I prayed that my girlfriend would short pregnant. Fortunately, she did not. I knew I dodged a bullet there, but ever since that incident last year, our relationship has been very rocky. It's like I almost have to beg her for a date now. She's not seeing anyone else, but she's at this point that what happened last summer scared her so badly that she's afraid to even move forward. How could I salvage this? Because I really love her, and I know she loves me. We're a young couple, and we belong together. Jason, Anaheim, California. Jason, you guys dodged a bullet. Yeah, I think you guys will probably be good together because one thing for sure, she covered your ass to get you out of there, and she took a she took one for the team. I think what it comes down to is she's in the middle of a really traumatic relationship with her mom and her dad. That's having an impact on her. She has to console her mother. 
Now, I want you to understand one thing, Jason. That's going to be part of your relationship because she's going to be going through trying to make her mom feel better about herself. And you're going to have to support her in that role if you guys are going to be together. Now, as far as your girl, the way you're going to have to talk to her is on the level of helping her with her mother's dilemma. In other words, you're including yourself in her struggle in order to help her mom. Now, nothing's wrong with that. Because what will happen then, mom will embrace you. Once you get mother's approval of you, then you're going to be in that close-knit circle. Now, dad will probably be the bad guy. Mom is caught between loving dad and not loving dad. So whatever happened, For her to return early, it seems like it really devastated her. It more than likely was an old wound that they had picked the scab off of that they had in their relationship. The best thing you could do is be her support mechanism and not present yourself as someone who just needs your woman's time. And she feels as though you're being inconsiderate of what she's dealing with. You can incorporate that. And then what will happen is she will more than likely start inviting you over because you understand more and you can help her with this. Now, here's the thing. It's not her job to take on her mom's responsibility, true enough, but just to give moral support. And this is what you're going to have to do with your girl. And this is what you're going to have to explain her to do with her mother. And with this, there's a good possibility this thing can work. I can only imagine seeing the two of you jumping out of bed. She's walking around with a panty strung around one of her thighs, and you walking around with your penis trying to wipe it off behind. (laughs) Dude, you young folks never fail to amaze me. But in any case, Unless she's not pregnant. And uh, you were fortunate, very fortunate, for not getting caught and not winding up a father when you weren't prepared to be. But that's the route I would take if I were you. And here's the thing. The three of you could actually talk to her about setting up a counseling session. Because, see, here's the thing. She needs therapy in order to deal with the mom I'm talking about, needs therapy in order to deal with her situation, her heartbreak. The daughter needs it in order to really get a clear understanding between the two of them so that she doesn't feel so vulnerable and afraid of losing her mother. You will be there as a supportive person A good therapist will probably map out the roles of each of you in order to make this work. And then if mom wants to be with her ex-husband or her estranged husband, they can set that up separately. I think the daughter may have a problem with that, but who knows? Best of luck to all of you on that one. Okay. Let's see here. 
Uh, I'm not gonna read that one. I'll read this one from Shanice. Hi Johnson, my name is Shanice. I live in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I'm faced with a problem. My boyfriend and I. I'm 27, he's 28. I never wanted him to go down on me, ever. And he pretty much pinned me down and ate me out last night. I'll admit the feeling was great. I was in seventh heaven. But when it came down to him wanting me to return the favor, I just couldn't. I don't know what it's been, but for some reason, I never got into oral sex with men. I know some other woman could possibly come in there and take him away from me just because of that. I tried to make him understand that that didn't appeal to me. And he tells me that I don't love him because I won't do it. Ever since the last time we had sex, he's never bothered asking me. And now, it's more or less. He'll go, he'll do me, and then he'll just walk away. He won't even penetrate me or anything of that sort anymore. Do you think he's seeing someone else? Yes. And I'll tell you something else. Shanice's doing what a lot of men do. I don't know if you guys talked about sex before you start the relationship. Most people who run into this complication have not. They go to have conventional sex the first time. And then when it comes down to the more complex things that they want to do, then there is a sticking point. So, what I see here, more so than anything, is I see him going out, getting with another woman, just for that purpose. See, we used to have this thing when I was out there in the club scene. We would tease some of our friends who were with certain women and usually it was a larger number of black women that wouldn't do oral sex. And so we'd call them the headless brothers, just like the headless horsemen. And we would laugh at them because of that. We would joke with them because of that. And we'd call them HH or H2O. Headless horsemen, zero head, right? And so what happened A lot of those guys would actually have other women. And these women varied in different ethnicities and races, backgrounds, just for that purpose. And a lot of their wives, girlfriends, never knew what was going on. And this has lasted for years. Now, there are plenty of objections to women wanting guys to go down on them. Some of them say they don't like the way their pussy tastes. Some of them will say they don't want the guy's breath in their mouth with that vaginal smell. There was one lady in particular, after the guy went down on her, he had to go and use mouthwash, wash his face before she would kiss him. 
Now, there are other situations where the woman may feel as though there is something that may happen, like the guy may pee in her mouth or he may ejaculate in her mouth and they don't want to deal with that. This is why a lot of guys will go for women who have no problem swallowing. And some women use this as a marketing tool, especially if they're really interested in a guy. They would tell them straight up, yeah, well, I don't have no problem swallowing. Glug, glug. And that right there puts her ahead of the game with a lot of other women. Now, here's the problem. A lot of women, of course, would think this is repulsive, reprehensible, you name it. To a guy, we look at that as an added plus. If she has a personality, she's someone, she's someone we can trust. She's someone that we can see ourselves with. She's someone that we feel as though have integrity and they do the right thing by saying what they mean and sticking by, the, sticking by it. Even though that woman may not be the most attractive woman in the bunch or even the finest woman, guess what? She's the top pick over all the rest of the other ones. She's number one. And with her being number one like that, he becomes oblivious to the other one. He doesn't have to go out and get these other things accomplished by other women. And then there are other people who repress themselves and they don't deal with that. They just go on and deal with the relationship as it is in a conventional way. And when they get a chance, divorce or something like that, oh, they're more willing, more than willing to break up a divorce so they can go and get what they want. But they stay committed. You have women that do that. So there are various reasons why people don't do oral sex. It could be because a person doesn't shave their pubic hair. It could be because of hygiene. It could be because of certain uh, diseases. It varies from person to person. I had a friend of mine that um, I'll never forget. We weren't really close. And I could tell his wife admired me. And one evening I was out. And it was odd seeing her out there at a club without him. She got a little alcohol in her. And boy, did her mouth open. And she says, I got a husband that doesn't like to eat pussy. And <laughs> it shocked everybody the way she was talking. But it was the alcohol talking. And what I noticed was in their relationship there was some friction. And this nice, humble couple that had been together as long as I've known them, they became very volatile. A lot of acting out in public, a lot of arguments. And then eventually she unloaded on him one night and just told him all of the things he was not to her. And there was no alcohol involved that night. And shortly thereafter, they went their separate ways. 
so, you know, the thing you have to understand is you need to have that conversation with your partner going in. A lot of people don't. And they put sex on this high counter and say, we're not going to even address that. And so you get a year into the relationship, nine months into the relationship, and you guys may be having sex, but you're not talking about it. You're not talking to each other. And then before you know it, that partner may decide to fulfill a fantasy or something like that with their partner. Then all of a sudden there's a problem. And you're back to square one. You gotta have that conversation at some point. You have to. Unless you wind up with that lady that told me there was no sex until the first year of dating. And I told her to go straight to hell on the freight train. There was no way in hell I was going to deal with that. Guys, I will tell you. Don't wait. If she's talking a year or something like that, don't wait for that. Doesn't mean it's going to be any better. Doesn't mean it's going to be good. That's a value that she put on herself. You may not recognize that value. So therefore, in the early stages of the relationship, if she tells you something like this, I mean in the very early stages, you don't need to deal with it. A confident woman, she's not going to put a time limit or a barrier on that. It's when she feels it's appropriate for her to do so. I'm just telling you. And of course, just because you didn't have the opportunity to be with that person, they feel as though you have lost something. Nope. Mm-mm. Can't miss what you never had, right? You move on. More in a moment, folks. Folks, there are three things before you enter the dating realm that you should have on lockdown. Who you are, how you want to be treated, and what you're looking for. These are three things that you should have in your back pocket before you start looking at trying to date anyone. Now, let's go through these three things. Remember the first question in that category of four questions, I always say, who are you? You should be able to define yourself definitively without talking about anything you own, drive, live in, possess, used to own, or anything of that sort. About you. Most people don't like talking about themselves. You should be able to present yourself to an individual about who you are. So they will have a clear view as to your models, your standards, your expectations, all of these things. Plain and simple. The reason why you want to convey this early on in the relationship, it's going to help you filter out people that are undesirable. Now, 
There's another thing that I will tell you. People who are very slow on telling you things that are very obvious because they're ashamed, such as telling you that they're pregnant or they're married when you meet them, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, if they linger with that and don't tell you until after several dates, the deception is real. They're lying about a lot more of the things than that. Understand that. And they'll talk about how they're Christian and all of this other stuff. They're using that as a cover. Because what it comes down to, these people will go and take religion and twist it in a boat to anything they would like to have in order to qualify their behavior. They may follow up with something like nobody's perfect, you name it. If this violates your standards, folks, I don't give a damn how nice they are, how pretty they are, how moral they claim to be. You may want to reconsider even dealing with someone like that. These people are showing you who they are in the beginning. And it's not going to change. They're going to lie to you throughout the relationship at some point. They're going to omit things throughout the relationship at some point. They're not going to reveal things until it's too late. See, people try to keep things hidden until things work to their advantage where it's more than likely you're going to accept it. As an analogy, it's like the person who comes across the border. We'll say they came across the border in 1980, made a decent life here in America, and then they go for documentation for everyone and they find out this person snuck across the border and now you have a problem in the sense that they violated a law even though they've been a good citizen pay taxes and those kind of things you gotta ask yourselves what would be the right thing to do same question we're faced with today do we deport them or do we grant them citizenship let them stay as they are and just say, okay, don't do it again. What do we do? This is where you are in many situations like this in relationships. I'll do a wrong now. And I'll plead or ask for forgiveness later after that wrong is done. And what we do, a lot of times we condone that behavior. We think it's okay. So what happens in essence? The rules don't apply. Well, what happens when rules do not apply in your life? When rules don't apply in your life, what do you have? You have chaos. So you have to have standards. And when you veer from those standards, you get chaos. What is this chaos? Well, people realize, okay, well, we could go across the border. Instead of coming in from Mexico, because Mexico's economy, for instance, in this example, have really improved. Countries like Nicaragua, El Salvador, San Salvador, and all down the peninsula there, they may not be doing so well. And so people are coming in there. There may be people throughout the other parts of the world saying, ah, just go to Nicaragua or somewhere, and then you could just go up to through Mexico to the United States. And then you have a problem when it comes down to coming into the country 
And this is one of the reasons why now this is such an issue with immigration. Because we have permitted it. And please don't come at me about the immigration argument overall because I see both sides of the spectrum. But here's the problem. When you start with any country bringing in people and people start coming in because they have now broken a law, what's the use of having that law? We're hypocrites. It's the same thing that goes true when it comes to you and your standards. If you drop those standards, anybody can come into your life. Anything goes. There's no filter. So that person who had gone on and lied to you voluntarily in the initial stages, they may feel justified to continue to lie to you or continue to omit things. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you I was married. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you I had a child that I lost. Not through death, but through my responsibility as a parent. Whether it's a man or a woman. Oh, yeah. I omitted the fact that uh, I lied on my profile and told you I went to college when I didn't. All of these situations, people have forgiven others for. Only to face worse consequences later. Who you are is very important. But you also have to have your filters up and keep your standards up, folks. I'm telling you, your standards are going to be the things to save you. Now, how you're treated. These are all expectations, but here's the thing. These expectations are standards to be met by you and by your partner, by you defining yourself And by you defining yourself to your partner, they should respect you for what you've defined. If they don't respect you for that, don't get involved with them. The next thing, how would you like to be treated? It's called respect. See, there are some people that give respect in the initial stages of a relationship. We do this in some way or form unconsciously how do we do it we could be in a dream we could be asleep and we still had the courtesies of speaking to someone that we met subconsciously we do it when we meet people every day we're not hey how you doing you know I'm doing fine you're showing respect now One thing that I learned, especially in financial services, from uh, a gentleman that was a client of ours years ago, he used to always say, he said, you know what the difference between a wealthy person and a poor person is? I said, what's that? He said, a person that has no money has a larger lack of trust for people. So you have to earn their respect. He says, people were born into money and wealthy You have to retain respect. He said that's the difference. 
the wealthier give respect earlier. The poor always have to be on that churning wheel of trying to earn it. And at first I didn't really think much of what he was talking about. Then I really thought about it and it made sense. And I looked at constituencies, constituency building, and how people who went to Harvard, Yale, and different universities, they yielded that respect. They didn't have to qualify themselves to anyone. And many of those alums helped each other along the way with high-powered jobs. One average person finding it hard to make it, struggling. Even though we're in the wealthiest nation in the world, we're still struggling like some people in certain other countries. But that's our reality. And so, with that, you have to establish how you would like to be treated. Again, what does it come down to? Those standards that you've set for yourself. That's a template for how people should treat you. Now, the sad part of it is a lot of you don't hold people to those standards. Guess what you have to do when you're not being treated well? You have to remind them. Is that a way to speak in front of a lady? Is that a way to treat a lady? But now, don't be hypersensitive with it where you're trying to do it to be an ass. But where you're doing it in a way when that person is woefully disrespectful. But here's the thing. If you have to correct them, ladies or guys, don't do it. That person's not for you. Don't try to custom fit something that doesn't fit you. Because if you try to make it fit, it's going to lead to other problems. You know, it's like a lady told me with her jeans one time. She says, you know, back in high school, I used to wear these jeans, and now I'm a little bit older, I'm going to try to fit in them. So she pulled them up, got them all the way to her thigh, and she says, okay, this is where I gained the weight in my thighs and hips and butt. And she was trying to wiggle, and she was wiggling away, and she was wiggling away. And she couldn't fit those jeans. And she says, you know what? I'm going to figure out a way to get in these damn jeans. You just wait and see. Well, she did. At first, she lost the weight. And she got in them. And we were all going out one night, and she kept telling me about, you know, I'm going to show up, and I'm wearing my jeans because I've lost the weight. And this was months later. Yes, those jeans fit it. But you could take a Sharpie and draw out her panty line in those jeans. You know how they had that reinforced crotch in the panties? You could actually see the print from it in those jeans. Those jeans were that tight. Well, needless to say, before the end of the evening, she went to bend over to grab her purse. And the biggest rip in history occurred. It was embarrassing, but it was funny. We all laughed. Well, what I'm getting at with this is that sometimes we may try to fit into something that really is not suited for us. And we expect it 
to be treated a certain way. And we think that that treatment applies to every environment, and it doesn't, and to every person, and it doesn't. See, here's one of the reasons why minorities have so many issues when it comes down to the normal things that mainstream people don't really encounter that much. You may be able to go into a restaurant. Well, a black person can go into that same restaurant. There may be a waitress there. And that waitress may not like a person of a certain race. Now, they're not going to come out and call them a name or anything like that, but they may be very short with them, very aloof, not so interested in waiting on them. They may feel as though you're black, I'm white, what am I doing waiting on you? You should be serving me. You have some people with that mindset. Again, you can never legislate or regulate a person's feelings and emotions. But here's what happens a lot of times, folks. We get to the point where we think sometimes that our standards should apply to other people by default. And it's not the case. This is the reason why I say when it comes down to expectations and standards, there are some people you don't set expectations or standards. these people
change. You're not going to allow a man to call you a bitch or a whore. Fellas, you're not going to let a woman emasculate you and call you an F word, call you gay, say you have a little dick and all of that stuff just in joking. Don't get to a point of marginalizing that as just a joke. You don't have to take that off of anyone. At that point, you don't give a damn if they were joking or not. You don't need it. There are too many people out there that would do that voluntarily who meant it. So, don't put yourself in that position. If you don't accept anyone that speaks slang, let that person know up front. You can have that as a standard. I remember one evening, I met a lady on Hinge. And one thing I do like about Hinge in general, they seem to have a better group of people when it comes down to education, background, etc., etc. Some of these other sites, oh my God. You scratch your head and say, how and why and where in the hell did this situation come from? I should never know. But now let's get back to this. What I'm getting at is these people that won't treat you as you feel as though you should be treated. They do this for other reasons, to break you down to their level. You don't have time for that either. Somebody has low self-esteem, they want to talk to you, or would like to interact with you, they come up with backhanded compliments in order to wear you down. Don't take it, you don't have to. Now, let's go on to what you want, what you're looking for. Establish that clearly. I would advise you strongly, those four categories of questions, use that as a template for the qualities you want into a, in a person that you would desire. So you're not wishful thinking. These are the way I want a man to define himself. This is what I'm looking for. Will he be there 100%? No. But at least he should be there with the majority of requirements you have. His purpose. He should have a passion or a purpose, and it should not be driven or motivated by money. Three, strengths and weaknesses. If he does not have any weaknesses, or if he only focuses on his strengths and not his weaknesses, he's got a serious problem with the perception of his reality. In other words, you're dealing with a person who has a lack of awareness. This is dangerous because these individuals, a lot of times in relationships, do not recognize vulnerabilities. These are the people who always address a problem after the problem has happened. They're not good as far as preempting an issue examining what's going on with the issue. They're not good at that at all. They're reactionaries. 
gotta see if you can deal with someone who's dealing with that. Now, on the other part of the spectrum, they may say that they have no strikes. That's a person you may wanna kinda see exactly where their head is, because there's a good possibility they may be morbidly depressed, they may have lost confidence in themselves, and this will be a point where you will probably find that that individual will need a lot of work and support from you as a partner, and are you willing to go that route with them? So let's carry on. What are your intentions? The guy you're looking for, he should have some kind of plan, some kind of goal, some kind of vision towards the future. Now, it should be inclusive, not exclusive. You can frame the question for yourself. To ask him, you could say something like, if we were in a, an exclusive relationship, where would you see us going as a couple into the future? If you hear, well, I hadn't thought about it that far. Now, there are two things with that answer. That person's either being modest or they're lying through their teeth. Next thing, they may answer something like to the effect of, well, what I'm planning on doing is being here or there. And my goal is, notice how many times I use I and my. You asked them a question that was inclusive. You're looking for our, we, and us. I know us with a T, us. So you want to ask yourself that question. And the reason why you do this is so that you'll have a better understanding on how that person perceives future endeavors and maybe success. Are they a person who thinks for themselves only or are they inclusive in their thinking of you as a couple? These four categories of questions will get you very far under who you are, who are you, and we're going to go through this in the next episode on tomorrow. I'm going to hold it up here, folks. I thank you for listening, and have a wonderful of Romantic Truth appreciate your listenership. Listeners, you're invited to stream and listen to Jawson's music on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, Audio Mac, or Deezer. Type in J-A-U-S-A-N in the search for artists to follow and like modern instrumental music from his discography. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those solely of the host and are not condoned or endorsed by Romantic Truth, Anchor or any of its affiliates. The advice given herein is the expressed opinion of the host and not to be used for legal, marital, or family, 
counseling, or for professional practice purposes. In the event for professional assistance, please contact the local licensed professional family counselor, marriage counselor or social services professional in your region. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. Be advised that all of the background music of production not provided by Anchor is owned by James Adams and Jaws and One Music exclusively licensed for this Romantic Truth podcast under waiver. Please understand that there were no people or animals hurt in the segments of this show including plants. All sound effects were improvised in the studio setting with props. We are an equal opportunity employer with two Yorkie poodles and a rat terrier as the security detail. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.